Hey there, Lions. Did you know that you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content by joining our paid support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride? For as little as $5 a month, you can help us grow this program to new heights. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, this is Felony Friday, a weekly show on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now on Lions of Liberty, we have a little bit of a variety show here. We have a unique taste of liberty that we offer three times per week. Every Friday, of course, you get this show right here, which focuses on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, I've interviewed lawyers, forensic experts, former cops, media personalities, and, of course, former felons. On Monday, you get Mark Clare. He hosts our flagship program. And this Monday, he has an interesting interview. He's interviewing Sam Cedar of The Majority Report. Sam is a progressive He's been on MSNBC, so you got to tune in to hear this interview. Mark claims that there is no yelling, there's no screaming. It is mostly a civil argument, so definitely tune in to hear that this Monday. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes to the Lions of Liberty podcast so you don't miss that one in your feed. And every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land. That, of course, is hosted by the always hilarious Brian McWilliams. Brian provides your weekly look at culture, comedy, and liberty, and it's entertaining as hell, so you don't want to miss a single episode of Electric Liberty Land. Now, the show notes page for this episode with my guest Malik King can be found at lionsofliberty.com ff67. On that show notes page, you'll be able to find links and notes to everything that we're going to talk about today. All right, let's get to today's interview. Malik King is the Prison Outreach Coordinator for the Can Do Foundation. If you remember from episode 65 of this show when I spoke with the founder of the Can Do Foundation, Amy Pova, Malik is Prison Outreach Coordinator. So he's talking, he's corresponding with prisoners while they're locked up, helping them to, like he did for former guests on the show, Israel Torres, helping him towards uh, getting clemency, which Israel did get, of course. Uh, Malik has been a prison activist and advocate who opposes mandatory minimums, cruel and unusual punishment and torture, including solitary confinement and also draconian sentences that do not fit the crime. Malik, welcome to Felony Friday. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to be here, John. Thank you for coming on the show. And like I said in the intro, we did have on uh, your colleague at the Can Do Foundation, Amy Pova, recently. And that was a really, really powerful interview with her sharing her story. And we talked a little bit about some of the individual cases uh, at the Can Do Foundation. And, and we talked about you and your work a little bit. And I'm looking forward as we get into this interview and in, in digging into those cases and, and sharing those stories. But before we do that, before we get to that, I just wanted you to, uh, for the Felony Friday audience, so they can get to know you a little bit better and know what you're all about, uh, maybe you could share, start off by sharing how you first got interested in criminal justice reform and maybe share where that passion comes from. Okay, no problem. I've told a, I told the story before, so it's definitely nothing new. It, it, it kind of all kicked off back in 1982. Um, 
I left New York City to come to Atlanta to go to college. And uh, once I left the city, a lot of my friends that I left behind started getting in trouble uh, as the crack cocaine era, era came into existence. So what happened was a lot of times when I would go back home from Atlanta for a break from college, I would go by looking for some of my old friends and I was informed that they were in jail and or in prison. So I started out, you know, just writing them, telling them to stay strong and keep in contact, even though I'm away in, in college, that I'll still, you know, keep in contact with them. I'll never forget them. And basically, you know, that morphed and went in different directions. Um, they passed my address on to other people because of the inspirational material that I was sending to them. And before I knew it, I had amassed probably, I don't know, maybe like about 2,500 letters, maybe in about uh, two or three years or so. And uh, it just took off from there. And right now it's in the uh, federal level. And that's like right where I want to be. Everybody I pretty much correspond with is in federal prison. So back back when you first started corresponding with your friends when they were in prison, what, what type of stuff would you send them to give them inspiration? Anything. Now, this was before the Internet, you have to remember. So it was a lot of clipping stuff out of newspapers and things of that sort. And um, I was writing a lot of inspirational poetry at the time. And um, they were sharing some of the poetry I wrote with other people because some of the other inmates that were there never received mail. And you know the positive vibe that they got from material that I was writing at the time kind of helped them make it through their days from what I was told. And you know they passed that information on to other people. And it, as people traveled to different prisons or got transferred, when they got there, it was kind of like, hey, you need to get in contact with this guy named Malik in Atlanta. I don't really know him, but I know somebody who knows him, but he sends good material. And it, it, it just it just snowballed. It never stopped. Wow. So it was really just just organic, just organic growth. People people wanting to correspond with you. Um, I'm kind of curious. At what point did uh, did it switch over where federal inmates can now get email? Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what year that happened, but I know there's there's one guy that I grew up with in Queens. Uh, he's been in for 21 years and I've been emailing him for at least at least 13 to 15 years. Oh, wow. OK. So it's, it's been for a long time. OK. Yeah, it's been for a while. Definitely. The women, the, the, the women, uh, I think it started out as a pilot. They wanted to see how it would go. And then it went well. So, you know, now the men and the women have it. But I know like with the uh, the same email system, the women right now have video chat, which is similar to Skype. And matter of fact, I just did a uh, video chat session with a young lady named uh, Carolyn Bell out in Texas that got clemency that Amy and I were working with. And uh, the men aren't able to do it yet, but the the, the, the women have it. So the, they're still in the pilot stage, I guess. Okay. Is, is that stuff uh, heavily monitored? Because I know if you're, if you're sending mail, if you're trying to send packages, that stuff all gets opened up and looked at. Is, is that stuff monitored by prison guards, either an email or, or, or a video chat? Yeah, they, they monitor it. You know, they, from what I hear from people, um, they can't really monitor all the phone calls because there's so many phone calls that are being made all across the country. And uh, the same thing I hear with the mail you know, they, they, they do, they open the majority of the mail and same thing with video conference. They, they tend to listen. But from what I hear also, if the inmate is not a problem inmate, 
they don't really have they don't really listen too well, you know, because like I do video chats a lot. And I think a lot of times some of the women, I don't think they monitor because they know I'm not talking about anything fallacious and they know the girls aren't talking about anything fallacious. But mostly I think they monitor problem inmates more than they monitor just the um, the our model inmates. So this kind of started like you were saying, you just started corresponding with inmates and just kind of grew on its own where you kind of became known as the guy to talk to the guy that was going to help to inspire people who were who were locked up. How right. did you uh, transition? How did you come in contact with the Can Do Foundation and, and how did that role get started? Um, going back a second, then I'll transition to that. I, I wish, I wish, I, I wish I can get. I wish I'm have to. Next time I go to New York, or something I have to take a picture of all the letters that I've uh, accumulated over the years. I know I have two. I have two fifty-five pound boxes of letters in New York at my mother's house. Just, just nothing but letters in there. Uh, some of them aren't even opened. That's how many I, letters I was getting. And this was like, again before computers i was like doing just writing letters you know like so i couldn't even keep up with the influx so like but, um, at, at the peak sorry to interrupt you like at the peak there or i guess maybe a better question is what, what's the most amount of inmates do you think that you've been corresponding with like within i don't know like a three-month range um by 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 snail mail or by email or both i guess yeah by by snail mail back in the day oh back in the day and 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 you said in with in what in what time frame? Just, just to put some sort of range on it, I don't know. Within a couple months, was it hundred, like, hundreds of inmates was it? Yeah, was definitely, de- yeah. definitely hundreds. Because what happened? The the kickoff was, I had uh, written a poem, okay, and um, one well, one inmate in Virginia that had a life sentence contacted me. He's read something that I wrote somewhere. He asked me if I wanted to. Uh, write an inspirational poem for some prison publication. I told him yes. It was only 500 words, no problem. And I, I wrote it. They published it, and they put my address at the bottom of the poem instead of leaving it out. So once the uh, publication went out and it had my poem in there with my address, that's when I started getting the majority, so many letters from all over the country. Okay, so you sort of became famous that way. <laughs> yeah, for one poem. That's pretty cool. <laughs> So moving along, like how I met Amy now, um, as a couple of my friends ended up in federal prison and I was emailing them, same thing happened. Like, you know, I was now I'm in the Internet stage so I can copy and paste material off of the Internet and I'm sending it to people I know and they're sharing with people. And it's the same rah, rah, rah. Hey, like, who's that guy? Can do you think he'll mind if I if I get on his email? And it just morphed and morphed and morphed. And at one point I had about 400 people. Um, on my email, and what happened was there was a woman named Alice Johnson, and um, she's uh she's locked up at a federal prison in Aliceville, Alabama. Excuse me, she's a first time offender with a life sentence. She's only she was uh only was making telephone calls, you know, acting like a, as a middle a middleman so to speak, and she ended up with a life sentence. She's sixty one years old. Everybody thought that she would get out, but she got left behind before Obama left office. So Alice says to me via email, hey, Malik, do you know um, a woman named Amy? I'm like, Amy who? She's like, Amy Povar. I'm like, I don't know her. So Alice kind of says, well, you need to get in contact with her because the two of you together would be like a force to be reckoned with. So Alice gave me uh, Amy's 
email address. I emailed Amy, not knowing how busy Amy was at the time. And this is, may have been, I don't know, maybe two years ago, maybe three, not knowing how busy, not knowing who Amy was or how busy her life was. I never heard back from her. So I just kind of wrote it off and kept doing my thing. Um, finally, Alice, I think, again said at some point, did you ever hear from Amy? I said I never heard from her. So I emailed her again. This time I heard back from her. And, uh, you know, we were both, Amy was also in contact with Alice Johnson as well. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Amy was kind of moved by what Alice told her about me via emails. And, you know, once I spoke to Amy and told her some of the things I was doing and how many people I was emailing, Amy was inspired and she knew I was driven and motivated and self-starter. So she asked me if I wanted to be her prison prisoner outreach coordinator. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, yeah, definitely. So it, in, in your role now, it's, is, I think Amy said that the Can Do Foundation, it's all, it's all volunteer, right? Yeah, definitely. The, the amount of correspondence you're doing, how much time would you say like in, in one week, um, would you say it takes up? Um, about 42 hours a week. I usually get on my computer every night from, from midnight to about 6 a.m. emailing inmates because they wake up in the morning around 6 and their doors open around 6.15 and they can go to their computers. So whatever they requested for me uh, tonight will be waiting for them when they cut their computer on the following morning at 6 in the morning. When do you find time to sleep? Um, from about 6.30 in the morning to about 12 in the afternoon. And then, and then you go to your, to your then job I go to work. during the day? Then I, go, yeah, then I go to work. I get off at 11. Then I'm on my computer from midnight until 6 a.m. again. Wow, that's incredible. That's um, almost that's an every night thing. Wow. Where do, where, where do you find the, you know, the, the motivation, the, the inspiration to, to put it? Because that's, I mean, that is a, that's a huge commitment. Yeah, definitely. Where, where does that passion come from? <laughs> right now, it comes from the inmates. The inmates keep me going. You know, they... They're nonstop, like, you know, like how you hear people say they're a piece of work, like they're a piece of work, you know, like, you know, they keep you busy. They don't want to be let down. They don't want to be betrayed. Like, you know, if you tell them you're going to do something, you better do it because they're not going to forget because they've been let down so much in life. So one guy, um, you, you corresponded with Israel Torres, right, when he was yeah. when he was still in? Definitely. So can you talk a little bit about his share from, from your perspective? Because he, he's been on the show before and he shared his story. So you didn't have to go into you know a lot of detail. But just, just from, from your perspective, can you just talk through, you know, the first time you talked with him all the way through, uh, you know, what it was like when he was granted clemency for, for you from, you know, watching that from the outside? Well, yeah, I know I was emailing Israel and, uh, you know, he didn't know much about it. And somebody told him about it and told him he had nothing to lose, but he wasn't really convinced because, you know, uh, he had a life sentence. But uh, he went for it. He wrote one letter and he got it. So, you know, the day that he got it, uh, I think we spoke that day or he emailed me and told me he got it. I know he was very excited, of course, but he still was sort of in disbelief. And uh, he'd, Israel, he'd always he always told me like that he knew that he would get out because he didn't he didn't from day one, he never really accepted the fact that he was going to die this way in these kind of, you know, in this kind of environment. And, um, you know, he told me, he, he told me, and we talked about it for a long time. You know, he says like, Hey Malik, man, you like my big brother that I never had. And like one day I definitely, we're going to meet at some point, somehow, some way. So I got a chance to meet Israel, um, in Washington, DC in 2015. 
That's pretty cool. What what was that like? What was that feeling like? Oh, it was incredible. It was definitely emotional. It was more emotional for him than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I've I've been I've been out, but you know, like I tell people all the time, to like for me, it just feels like second nature. That's something everybody should do um, to help a fellow human uh, to help a fellow human being that's in dire straits. But I guess when you're in there, you know, individuals like Israel, when you're in there, you believe there's like the world is cruel and nobody cares about you and people have forgotten about you. And then you meet people who do care and then you get to meet them. It's like mind blowing. Cause it's like, it's like, he's not even supposed to be here. It's like, you're supposed to die in there. You know what I'm saying? So like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm meeting somebody like who's supposed to be dead, like who came back from the dead. And I guess Israel is looking at like, like, man, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm here because I'm not even supposed to be here. That's such truly, I mean, I can't think of a more, more rewarding thing. I mean, I guess <laughs> that really makes sense. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking, how can you possibly have time to correspond with all these, all these inmates? And I, I can see why you do it. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you have a guy like Israel Torres. He's locked up when he's, what, I think 21 years old and he served. 17. Like he got out. He years. got out when he was, got out when he was 38. That's it, uh, just incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a reason to do this for sure. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you share some, some other stories, some other, uh, relationships that you've built that once they, you know, once they did get clemency, um, can, can you share some of those stories? Yeah, definitely. There's some people, um, that Amy and I help and I help too when they get out, you know, I help them try to find jobs or I go on the internet and try to, you know, give them organizations that hire, um, ex-offenders because when they come home, of course, they don't know how to use the internet, especially if they've been going for two decades. They have no idea how to use the internet. So, you know, I come out of my pocket sometimes and buy laptops for individuals that I know were fighting extremely hard to get out when they were in there and they're trying to fight extremely hard to land a job and, you know, be responsible individual when they come home. Uh, Amy sometimes does the same thing. She comes out of her pocket and buys laptops for people who she knows are really trying to you know, make a difference in their life and do everything they can to come from, to go back to prison. So me personally, I, I pick up the phone like on any given day. And sometimes at six in the morning before I go to sleep, because I know a lot of people that I've been in contact with, they're waking up at that time in the morning. So a lot of us men and women, sometimes we talk on conference calls, me and three or four other um, ex, ex-inmates talk for 20, 30 minutes every morning, you know, like family. It's really easy to see why you're able to inspire these inmates. Um, We're we're just going to take a real quick break here to hear from our sponsors. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more from Malik King. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. 
Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. Uh, I know that, you know, obviously towards the end of Barack Obama's uh, term in office, there was there was a wave of, of clemency granted. There's obviously people who, who were left behind, unfortunately, and, and weren't granted clemency. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can kind of question as, as to why that happened. Mm-hmm. But are, are there any now that that uh, that you want to talk about who are still any who are still really stuck in prison. And right now with the new administration, who knows what's going to happen? It's not, it's not really a positive outlook. Are there yeah. any stories that you'd like to share of people who, who did get passed over? Um, yeah, definitely. Like I said, um, wow, that's crazy. Um, hmm. Definitely have to talk about one of my favorites. Her name is Melissa Trigg. She's uh, 42 years old right now. She has a son. She had a conspiracy to distribute meth in possession of a firearm in the furtherance of a drug crime. So um, she got like 15 years and she's been in for about 10. She got sentenced in 2006. Um, Real sweet girl, good prison conduct, no disciplinary actions in, you know, in the 10 years that she's been in. Um, You know, she's taken every pretty much every possible program that the prison offers to better yourself. She took all kind of uh, programs and went through drug courses before she even turned herself in just to kind of show the judge that, you know, I'm trying to better myself before you even sentence me. But, you know, the dice rolled the way they rolled, but, you know, she's short now. I think her release date is 2018, maybe or 2019. So she was pretty bummed out about it because, you know, she was like, like she, like so many other people fit the criteria and they have like perfect, uh, perfect. Uh, they're just perfect inmates. You know what I'm saying? Like they have no problem with administration. Administration has no problem with them. And then they get they get left behind. And it's like it's unbelievable. They can't believe that they got left behind because it's like what more what more could I have done to prove in myself that I deserve a second chance? You know, than everything I've done since I've been here. And like Melissa. She's self-driven. She's self-driven. So she she started a program at the prison where she's at in Greenville, Illinois, where like she does boot camp and everything that she can, you know. So she has turned a lot of lives around since she's been there. A lot of girls with low self-esteem, whether it's because of abusive relationships or it's because overweight or whatever the case may be, Melissa's changed a lot of lives through getting people motivated to work out and lose weight and, you know, things of that nature. She's a, she's a good person. Okay. Um, do you guys, uh, at the can do foundation, do you help like directly with the paperwork of actually filing for clemency or do you guys have a role in that? Yeah. Amy and I, every, we're, hand, we're hands on, like, yeah, we do it all. Yeah, definitely. How does that process work? Do you guys, do you, do you need a lawyer for that, or is that something that, that you can help to facilitate yourself? Um, you don't have to have a lawyer, but it's, it's like one of those situations where 
for uh, seeing it and doing it so long, you kind of like learn how to just, you learn how to write these petitions because you've seen so many of them and you know like how the wording should be and what the, what the uh, people reading the uh, petitions, what they w- want to hear when they mainly want to hear that you've accepted full responsibility for your actions. They don't want you to try to fight and prove that you're innocent because you won't get anywhere with that attitude. If you're going up against the government, you'll lose every single time. So yeah, we do it. We do it all. Like we proofread the stuff and tell inmates, Hey, you know, change this around or move that around. And a lot of times it takes a long time because most of the time it's done via email. So like the inmate will email it, Amy, I, or whomever will read it and, but you don't need to put this there. You need to change this and do that and do that. We organize it this way. Send it back to the inmate. The inmate may say, no, that I don't want it like in that way. So it's a lot of back and forth. And then once they feel it's right and then once we feel it's right, you know, we pretty much tell the inmate to, hey, go ahead and print it. Or if it's something that we're doing, working on a character letter that we're sending to Washington to say, like, Melissa Trigg is, a, is the ideal candidate, then, you know, I send uh, – I send character letters and pictures of Amy up to Washington. I mean, of uh, Melissa up to uh, Washington. Amy sends pictures and letters. Everybody does it. And the thing, and another thing too that everybody likes about like the Can Do Foundation is like, like we're just a phone call away. Like people know that they can just pick up the telephone. Like family members, inmates, whoever it is, they know that they can just pick up the phone. Even children of inmates, they can just pick up the phone and, and call Amy or I or anybody else like 24 seven, there's no, there's no red tape. You don't have to go through secretaries and there's no answering machine and, you know, no, no personal assistance. Like, you know, you get us, like, there's no problem. Just pick up the phone. I always answer my phone. And the, uh, the family, the family will call you, uh, because what are some reasons why, why a family member would call you, would call you guys? Uh, it depends. Like I know sometimes like there's certain things they'll call Amy, you know, because Amy has been there. You know, she's been there. She's been through it. She knows a lot more of the intricate, fine parts of um, stuff that happens in prison and so forth and so on. I haven't been there. So there's certain situations that come up where people contact Amy and Amy will say, well, I'm going to put you in contact with Malik because Malik knows a lot about that or Malik does that for a lot of people. And I'll plug you in with him. You know, but other than that, you know, Amy and I, like, we talk pretty much every day and we're like, we're on the same page, you know, like Amy, Amy and I are on the same page. I love Amy. Amy loves me. We're on the same page. So if you, if you had to give, you know, if there's someone out there listening right now who just had a loved one that was locked up and, you know, they're, they're kind of lost right now, they, they don't know what to do. If, if you were giving someone advice on how to st- how to start to interact, how to inspire that person who is now imprisoned, what what, what would you tell them? Just tell them, like, hey, just do your time. Like, avoid getting shots. A shot is just a write-up. You know, just stay in your lane. Avoid getting shots. Stay out of prison gossip, you know, prison politics. Just, just, just do your thing. Just do your time and, you know, stay to yourself and, you know, to as many programs as you can. And like me, for example, I have a lot of good relationships with authors all over the country. So I constantly have authors donating books to me, you know, and sometimes the publishing company, if it's a large amount of books, like one author sent me, um, I think 130 books, but you know, the publishing company footed the bill on about, um, maybe 130 of them and sent maybe the, the remaining, 
balance to me to send the books into people. So I always have authors constantly sending me books, you know, and I send books to inmates all the time, you know, to keep them busy, you know. So sometimes I mail five books every week to inmates, you know what I'm saying? And these are like brand new bestseller, you know, New York Times bestseller kind of kind of books. That's pretty cool. I had no idea that um, you you wouldn't. I, maybe it's wrong not to think that, but I, I wouldn't think that authors would be tuned into that. But that's that's great that they are thinking that. Yeah, authors that's a great are, way to help out. Yeah, authors are very tuned into it without a doubt because a lot of authors know that if the if the book does good on the inside, like you got two point, you got two million people in prison. So you know if your book can spread like wildfire in the prison system, like if you can just sell. If you can just sell 500,000 books to prisoners, like, you're good, you know what I'm saying? And people out here will buy the book also, you know, like, but the prison, prisoners, they read, like, they, they a lot of them, are, they'll read anything, they, 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 they'll read anything, especially if it's good and if it's about prison reform or mass incarceration, they're all over it. That's cool. What what about podcasts? Can can people listen to, to podcasts in prison? No, nah, they can't listen to podcasts. Yeah, unfortunately, they can't, get on, they can't get on YouTube or, or anything. Nah, like that. No. Nah, nah, their computers that they use just allow them to just check email and sign off. So if you can just imagine going to your computer every day and it just has the screen where you put your password in and your email address, and that's all you can do. You can't go outside of Hotmail or Gmail or Yahoo or whatever it is you use. You can't go anywhere outside of that. Can't see Yahoo News. All you can do is see your email, your inbox, your sent box, and print stuff. And that's it. That's all they can do. What types of conversations are you having now today? Now that we have we've had the change in administration, what types of inspiration are you sending to inmates now who might be, you know, a little bit obviously disappointed? You know, maybe they're they've lost a little bit of hope on, on getting out soon. I mean, who knows what, what can happen with with this administration? Maybe things could change. But mm-hmm. what types of things are you sending to try to inspire them today? I'm just telling my people that I email to just. Use your downtime to be proactive. Like get all your ducks in a row, get all your paperwork in a row, get all your court proceedings together, you know, start working on motions and get everything ready to go. That way if they do start, you know, if the administration says, you know what, we're gonna start doing clemency, you don't have to run around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to get everything lined up. You have everything ready to go and all you gotta do is put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and start mailing it out. So a lot of the people I email, that's what they're doing right now. And I have their various websites. Like there's a, there's a Department of Justice website that I go on a lot, you know, that has a lot of good information that, that, that I copy and paste off of there and send it to them, you know, so they can read it and pass it around to a lot of the other people that are there with them so they can see some of the things that are going on in Washington, D.C. So right now, the, the, the majority of them, they're pretty... They're pretty content with that, and most of them are in positive attitudes. They're pretty upbeat, thinking that you know something good is going to happen. If and, and if I see them acting negative, I don't entertain it. I'm like God, you can't you can't think negative. Like you know, how are you going to think that you're going to walk out the door one day and your whole attitude about everything is negative? Like what happens happened. It's over with. Like you got to look towards the future now. Absolutely, and I mean, who who knows what can happen? I mean, no matter what you think about Donald Trump, he is. He's he's a president. We've never had a president like him before. He's uh you know who knows what he's gonna do, but he is at the core, I think, a populist. Mm-hmm. So if you know if the people are able to put enough pressure on him for uh, reform of the drug war, for granting people clemency that are locked up for nonviolent drug crimes, 
who knows what can happen? I mean, if you put enough pressure on an administration, enough pressure on politicians, things can't happen. That is how you change the system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we got it. We got to keep at it for sure. Yeah. Another another thing too that's sad um, about a lot of this, John, is that there are a lot of elderly and ill people that are in prison. You know, there's a guy named Antonio Bascaro. He's 82 years old. He's been in there for over 32 years. He's a first time offender. He's in there for marijuana, you know, and he got denied. You know, there's another guy named Michael Peltier. He's a paraplegic. He's serving a life sentence for pot. He got denied clemency. You know, like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it, it's hard it's hard to reconcile. I mean, it, it's great. Obviously, everyone is happy for the people that were released, yeah. but you know, it's a shame. You, you look at it, these people have families yeah. that are still yeah. are still locked up in there, and they're looking at this, and it's it's definitely it's not fair. I mean, it's I mean, who knows what factors played into it, but in the first place, I mean, being locked in a cage for a nonviolent crime crime in air quotes i mean selling you know it's it's a crime on the books but there's no victim you're selling marijuana right right um that's just a it's just an insane thing yeah i know, but, uh, I, know there's, I know there's another dude he uh he got out uh named weldon angelos weldon had 55 years for selling marijuana just because he had a firearm on him at the time and he was a licensed owner and carrier you know he had a 55 year sentence he got out Tell you what, I, I mean, you could you could probably write a book about a great book about about all these stories, all these people, all these people that you've met. Um, it's uh, it's it's absolutely incredible because really what you do is is so unique. Um, I can't imagine there's there's probably not anybody else out there that is in touch with and corresponding with and motivating, inspiring nearly half or a quarter or a fraction of as many people as you are. Yeah, and, a good, and, another, and another good thing, too, some of the things that, that I do also to keep my people motivated when there's downtime, like since I get authors that are donating books to me all the time, like I'll go on my email and I have like I have a book raffle. So I'll say like, hey, I have a book by John Odemott by the name of such and such, such and such. The first 10 in- inmates that email me and send me your name and your address will get the book. The first 10 inmates that send me their name and address, I send them I send them a book, you know, and a lot of times to show their appreciation for things I do, they they send me books of stamps, you know. So, you know, sometimes I go to my mailbox and I have 20 books of stamps, you know, from inmates because I won't accept cash from them, you know, but they know I ma- use a lot of my own money to mail things out. So, you know, they'll, they'll return the favor by sending me stamps. So, like, I'm, they, I'm good. I love those dudes and they love me. Can inmates listen to CDs? No, nah, they have um, they have they have iPods, and they can uh, mm-hmm. they they I don't know how much it costs them to download a song, but they can download songs onto the little MP3 iPod kind of devices that they have in the prisons now. Okay, I was just thinking, I was wondering maybe I could if, uh, if you can't send CDs, I don't know how you'll do it. If I was trying to send some send some podcast episodes in, I don't know how you'll do that. No, nah, they can't. They can't. They can't. I don't think that can be done. Yeah. The only thing that could be done, only thing that could be done in that regards of anything, you'd have to send the CDs to the uh, to their family members, and you know, I don't know, their family members can listen to it and tell them what was going on. If they make a phone call home, their family member can play it, you know, over the phone as they and let them listen to it. Wow. Okay. But they only have fifteen minute phone calls, so. Right. Yeah. You don't want to waste your time. Waste your time <laughs> I mean, some, some, it's not a waste of time to yeah. some people. Like, yeah, that's true. Some of the knowledge 
or whatever it is they're hearing is valuable to them. You know, they may, they may, if that's how they want to spend their 15 minutes listening to the podcast, you know, that's valuable to them. Like, oh, okay, I got to hear Amy and Malik speak. Like, I, that was good, you know, whatever. That's interesting. Before I let you go here, we've run a little bit over. If you could just tell us, tell everyone out there listening one more time where they can find the Can Do Foundation, where they can learn more about it, where they can learn to help, and also where they can uh, follow you on social media. All right. So um, if they want to link up with the Can Do Foundation, they can just go to candoclemency.com, C-A-N-D-O-C-L-E-M-E-N-C-Y.com. Or if they just simply went on Google and just typed in the Can Do Foundation, they can find it. Uh, if they want to follow me on Facebook, they can just type in uh, Malik King, Atlanta, Georgia. And then uh, there's a picture of me on there squatting down with a camera and a red, a red and white banner that says Epic EPIC. Uh, and then I'll definitely add you as a friend if I recognize who you are. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's pretty much it. You know, like Amy and I and everybody else that works with Can Do, you know, we go hard. Everybody knows that, you know, and everybody knows that we're forced to be reckoned with. Everybody wants to be on the website and everybody wants to be involved with us because they see results when they get with Can Do. They, they, see, they see results and they know that they can just pick up the phone and talk to us like normal everyday people. That is awesome, Malik. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story, talking about these important um, individual cases mm-hmm. of people who have you know, been granted clemency and people who have been left behind. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing everything that you do, working, you know, sp- staying up to all hours of the night, uh, <laughs> corresponding with these inmates. Keep up the fight. Yeah, I will. And um, hopefully this won't be the, 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 uh, the first and last podcast that Amy and I do with you. Hopefully we'll do more. Absolutely. For sure, man. All right. Have a good one. All right, John. Thanks a lot. Guys, I had an awesome time today getting to interview Malik King. He was a really cool guy to get to know, get to know why he's passionate about the criminal justice system. And you would be hard-pressed to find anyone else out there who's working harder in the system to reform it, in the system to help people on an individual basis, to give them hope, to give them inspiration. I mean, he's interacting with prisoners every day through email and messages It's completely amazing. Can you imagine working an entire day at your day job and you come home, you eat some dinner, spend some time with your family, and then right after that, you go right back to your computer and you're sending emails, you're you're sending out messages until six o'clock in the morning when you finally go to sleep and you only go to sleep for a couple hours and you get up and you do the whole thing again and you do that every single day. That's amazing. That, that passion there is incredible, guys, and that's what it's all about. It's people like Malik King that make me optimistic for the future, for the future of this country, for the future of us seeing eventual systematic criminal justice reform. There are so many passionate people out there, and I've brought a lot of them on this show. So many passionate people who are giving up their free time. They're giving up time with their families, and they're doing it to pour their hearts into helping people who have been completely screwed over by this system. When you go back and you start looking at a lot of these stories, a lot of people that I've interviewed, and you can go back, I'm not going to list them all here, 
Check out the archive at felonyfriday.com. You can find all my archive shows there. I've interviewed lots of former felons, lots of people working in the criminal justice system. I've interviewed lawyers, media personalities, all kinds of people. Go back and check out the archive. But it's these stories that keep me going, along with you guys out there, along with the listeners out there who are giving me feedback each and every week, giving me the reason to keep on going, to keep on fighting for criminal justice reform, to keep on fighting for liberty. And I really appreciate you guys listening. I want to encourage everyone out there, if you haven't yet joined the Lions of Liberty Forum to do so, it's our online Facebook group. You can join by going on Facebook, putting Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top, and we will get you approved. As long as you have a real profile picture and you're a real person, we'll let you in. There's a lot of great conversations going on there every single day. Uh, there's, I think we have almost 1,600, 1600 members, and it's, it's growing quickly. So please join us there. Join the conversation. If you haven't checked out the Lions of Liberty store, we got some cool t-shirt designs. We have three different designs. We have the t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts for men and for women. We have beer koozies as well. I think they're they're four bucks. So be sure to check out the Lions of Liberty store. And that is at lionsofliberty.store. Easy to remember. And like we said at the top of the show, we do have our patron program. It's a way that you can get a little more content from the Lions of Liberty. It's a way you get some freebies from us as well and interact with us more too at the elite levels of the patron program. We have a 5 a 10 and a $25 level. But at that $5 level, that minimum donation level that gets you into that patron program, you're going to get all of our exclusive content. We've had um, a lot of content. We've had some extra interview questions from Tom Woods. Uh, we've released the Judd Weiss interview early, the Sam Cedar interview early. We've had a Conspiracy Theory Roundtable, and we've got a lot more of that stuff coming. We had a Felony Friday, Is This a Crime Roundtable. So we've had a lot of cool stuff out there. It's only 5 bucks a month, and you get all this extra stuff. So please check that out. It helps us, helps us to grow the show. We're putting all that stuff back into marketing and advertising to reach a wider audience. So please join us and help us to make this show and reach more ears. And you can find all that at lionsofliberty.com support. That's all I have for the show today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning.